Good day to all of our investors and general listeners. This is the Rudd Commentary. My name is Josh Rudd. I'll be your host on this presentation today. And with me again is Jack Herr, our Capital Markets Associate. The Rudd Company is a wealth management firm headquartered in Fort Worth, Texas. We manage investments for clients across the country and specialize in active portfolio management, retirement planning, and the setup and management of employer-responsored retirement plans. Hey, Jack, uh, real quick, before we move on into bonds, you know, it was, it was pretty it was pretty hard. I, I normally like to find something funny in these podcasts that's more themed with our topic today. It's pretty tough. Bonds are, uh, bonds are pretty boring, Jack. I did come up with something. Do you know what the difference is between a teenage boy and a long-term government bond? What? I think that the long bond will eventually mature at some point. <laughs> well, Josh, bonds are pretty boring, but... You made an okay joke and a big improvement from last time, I have to say. Well, I, I appreciate that. I was really excited when we chose this topic today because I believe that constructing bond portfolios is one of our biggest strengths. Today, we want to give a basic overview of how bonds work and how we use bonds at the Rudd Company to generate tax-efficient income for all of our clients. I know it may seem simple, but before we begin, Josh, can you please explain what a bond is and how it works? Oh, absolutely. I think that's actually good. You know, a lot of people talk about bonds and may think they're they're pretty simple, but they're really just based on math. They're pretty elegant securities and they are much easier in my opinion to value than say an individual stock and, and other types of investments. So really in its simplest form, a bond is it's just a loan. Uh, so a good ma- way to remember this is that most investments, Jack, can be put into two categories. You see, you got two buckets, right? We have an unowned bucket and we have a loan bucket. Stocks would fall into ownership, right? So a stock is actually a uh, piece of a company. You know, you own a piece of a company and, and you're considered a, a passive owner. A bond is really just a loan. It's a loan to a person or a government or an institution. And, you know, Jack, a good way that I think our investors and listeners can identify a bond pretty easy. If it's got a rate and a date, it's probably a bond. If you walk in, I'll give you an example, to your local bank, and you have a little bit too much money in your checking account. I don't know if y'all been through this before, but the personal banker is going to come around from behind the desk, and they're going to want to talk to you and try to get you to invest your money in something. And they're going to talk about all types of investments, but in general, they're going to give you a rate and a date. And you know what that means, Jack? What? They want to borrow your money. So that's really what a bond is. You're just loaning money out. So you said loan and own and rate and date. Josh, I have to say, I wish you were my bond professor in college. It's an easy way to explain it. So now that we have a basic understanding of how bonds work, let's talk about types of bonds that investors may come across in their portfolios. I mentioned earlier that we are always trying to generate tax-efficient income for our clients. Can you talk about specific bond types that help us generate this tax-efficient income in different types of investment accounts? The the objective most people think of when they think of bonds, you know, we talked about rate and date earlier. The rate part is just to earn interest, right? So you implied some tax benefits on some bonds. So before we get to some of the more tax-efficient bonds out there, let's just talk about who the largest issuer is out there. The United States government, or you all may know these as, as treasury bonds. You've got, you know, T-bills and and all types of instruments out there. And, and virtually, if you want to go out and you want to buy a bond that matures at a certain time, you can pretty much find it because there's just so much of it out there. So now that we've got that uh, behind us, let's jump into to the bonds that are a little more attractive from a rate perspective. A lot of what we also do here is 
by bonds issued by corporations. All right, so we talked about loaning someone money. So these are simply just loans to corporations, and you find them packaged up as a bond in different denominations. So let's say you invest $10,000 in a bond issued by XYZ Corporation. That could be a large industrial technology retail company. These are all names, Jack, that you know. And it's going to pay you interest twice a year. And going back to the rate and date, it's going to have a stated rate on it. Sometimes they're variable, but in most cases, they have a stated rate. And they have a time that they mature, hopefully like my teenage son will, where you'll get your money back. (laughs) So the last uh, security that that I'll mention that you implied is a municipal bond. I I live in a town called Alito, Texas, and we have a, a great football team out there and an enormous football stadium. When a Texas town wants to build a football stadium, how do you think they raise the money to do that? They issue a bond. Absolutely. So those of you listening, you may have had to go vote on a bond for something in your local area, for something like a football stadium or a school or something else. So that's how municipalities, cities, towns, uh, states even raise capital. So they're going to borrow from you, the investor. And what's really, what are some really cool things about, uh, about the income from those bonds? For municipal bonds, the income may be tax-free. That's one of the one of the very unique things, and really how we can really add value, and investors can look for depending on your tax bracket and the state that you live in and the circumstances. As Jack said, you might be able to get a little tax advantage from that income coming in, and that's something that's not uh, usually the case on on the corporate bonds and and the uh, United States Treasury, the regular government bonds that we talk about. Jack, I think that that's a pretty good example of the the types of bonds that are going to be the most common for most investors, and not all the bonds that we trade, but the bonds that we're going to see most often. Thanks, Josh. I appreciate you defining at the end there the tax efficient income that I referred to earlier. So, one question investors often ask is how much exposure should I have to bonds? I know this is a difficult question to answer because all investors are different, but what factors influence the percentage of fixed income an investor should have in an investment portfolio? Is it risk tolerance, age, or maybe a combination of a few different factors? So one thing that your question implies is that we're looking at a portfolio of investments. Is that correct? Yes. So, and the reason I'm making that point will become apparent pretty quick. Well, it really depends on several factors. But first off, it's pretty important to know how bonds impact an investor's portfolio as a whole. So one of the things that I want to use as an example that really helps investors understand this is, you know, I have a a friend of mine that's really into sailing. And one of the things that we've talked about uh, several times is the part of the boat called a keel, which is underneath the boat. And that keel provides a lot of stability. You know, it's real similar how bonds work. And as I've often told our investors and and clients here, bonds in a portfolio really, their primary function is, is for two things. One is they can help enhance income. So bonds historically, I know interest rates are pretty low right now, but bonds historically have been a really good source for income in a portfolio. So for example, if you have a portfolio of stocks, the yield on the S&P 500 is just below 2%. In the past, you've been able to enhance that by putting fixed income securities or bonds into a portfolio. So enhancing income is a big thing. The second thing, and I I really think about that keel when I think about this, is the bonds are going to help the portfolio dampen volatility. It's not a perfect correlation But when you think about what they are and what they do and the different types of individuals that buy bonds, you can see how when things aren't going really well in the stock market, bonds might be very attractive 
not because of the capital gains that people think they're going to get from them, but because they, they promote stability. When you think about sitting on that sailboat and you're in high winds, it's really tough to keep that boat moving forward. You're probably pretty glad you have that keel down there keeping that boat stable moving forward. So that's one thing that I think really paints a good picture of of mechanically how bonds work in a portfolio and the value that they provide. That's what uh, portfolio managers have historically used bonds for. When you consider bonds as a tool based on these two objectives, it becomes much easier to consider how much bond exposure you want in the portfolio, Jack. You've got to think about those factors that I talked about earlier. So what's the objective for the money that you're investing? For example, are we trying to generate income? Are we planning for a child or a grandchild's college? There's different things we need to think about. What's the objective? If we're looking at trying to grow the portfolio through principal capital gains, bond's not going to have as much chance to do that as an equity position or a stock position is going to have. You also need to think about your time horizon. And, and the reason I bring this up is, is if you're investing longer than 10 years, you need to think about one real important thing. Investors should consider that while that bond is sitting there in your portfolio, have you ever heard of something called inflation? So the $10,000 that you get back from the issuer after 10 or 15 or 20 years, that $10,000 is going to be worth less than when you put it in. Again, you really need to think about your time horizon. I'm not saying that if you have over 10 years to invest, you shouldn't own bonds. I've got more than 10 years to invest, and I love bonds and own own plenty myself. But you just need to consider that. Again, what's the objective for the money that you're investing? The third one I want to mention, this is very important for all of our listeners and clients to understand, is if you have any unplanned or you need immediate access to the principal and things come up, bonds are a lot more difficult and a lot less liquid to sell and to cash in, if you will, than an equity investment. I'll give you an example. If some of you are either, if some of you are driving, don't get on your phone, but if you're at your computer and you pull up one of the financial or one of the search engines that has a financial component to it and you put in XYZ stock, you can get a quote right then. But it's interesting if you try to put in a quote for a bond, there's just not uh, not a ready market available for most investors to go sell an investment. So when you have those unplanned emergencies or you need uh, immediate access to your principal, that's something that you need to think about with bond investing. Um, really, the last is, is more related to the objectives of what you're going to use the money for. Do you need current income from the money that you're investing? So that's, that's really important. Again, if, if you're going to invest this money for over 10 years and you don't need current income, you should really think about other types of investments as a primary tool to reach those goals and objectives. When you're considering how much bond exposure to have in a, in a portfolio, I would caution you against using some predetermined rule for asset allocation. I know that when I first started in this business, Jack, you know, take 100 and subtract your age was a way that a lot of financial advisors would come up with how much stock exposure you have. Our firm, we, we're going to use several factors like the things that I mentioned above in trying to customize a recommendation based on a client's financial objectives and situation. Again, going back and walking through and considering each objective, time horizon, your need for cash, and whether or not you need current income is going to impact how much money we're going to recommend to have in bonds in the portfolio. Thanks, Josh. Another question I often hear is when rates are low, people say, but rates are so low now, wouldn't it be better to wait to invest when rates go up? We get this all the time, especially when we're 
we're discussing fixed income investments like bonds with clients. And let's look at the situation right now. We have really low interest rates, Jack, in the market. So a lot of investors may be thinking, my gosh, you know, I'd just rather sit in the bank and, until rates improve. Why would I want to get, let's just say, you know, 2 3% on a five-year note when I can just sit and wait for rates to get a little better? Well, it's not looking like rates are going to go up anytime soon. That's something that should be considered as well. The second is really just the opportunity cost that you lose by sitting in cash. And let me give you an example. And this is something I learned when I started driving and, and I used to get really frustrated by traffic. And And you sit there and you wonder, you know, if I wait a little bit for traffic to get a little better, it makes me happier, right? Because I get to drive at a faster speed and I'm not quite as annoyed by all the stop and go. And my gosh, I look out there, Jack, and traffic's moving so slow. And and then, you know, then my wife, she made a very compelling argument. She said, you know what? If you wait, you're going to get there later, right? And I said, yeah, that's true. But I like driving and I like going at a faster speed. But then I'm just sitting at home doing nothing, waiting for traffic to get better. And, and, and that's a lot like what in, waiting to invest in higher interest rates is. So if you could buy a 3% bond for five years. Let's say it's $100,000 and you're getting $3,000 a year. Do you know how long it's going to take that guy who's waiting two or three years for rates to go up to catch up with you? Maybe a while. Yeah. And so that's that's kind of the point that we're making. I mean, bonds are purchased to generate income and sitting in cash is not usually the best solution. We actually have a strategy that we use here at the Rudd Company that's pretty simple, can help with folks that have that desire to wait to invest at rates that get a little better. Keeps the capital working and generating income, even in a low interest rate environment. And I think another lesson to learn there is that you should always listen to your wife. Am I right? Absolutely. Can you explain in more detail the bond ladder strategy that we use and the advantages of this type of strategy? A bond ladder is just a very basic but effective tool in portfolio design. It can be used to help with the opportunity cost and also sensitivity to rising and falling interest rates. And it's just very simple. So instead of taking that entire principal amount that we talked about earlier and investing it in one bond in a 5, 10, 15, or 30-year time horizon or maturity, we can actually break that up into several pieces and have parts of that principle or parts of that portfolio coming due on a more frequent basis. And, and Jack, what that allows us to do is focus our attention on the areas of the yield curve that we think present some opportunity. And it also really helps with cash flows for our customers. When you think about uh, investors' needs, some of those that may not be known, A lot of investors are very reluctant to tie up their capital for a long period of time and and chase those longer interest rates. And and one of the things I think that we do well is building in many different types of liquidity and different layers of liquidity, so accessibility of their cash. And bond ladder is very old and basic, but as I mentioned earlier, it's it's just a great tool. It's a great tool for managing interest rate risk and liquidity in our portfolios. You talked a lot about piecing up the $100,000. It also gives us the option to give the client some diversity in the types of bonds they owned in the account as well, rather than owning that one bond for $100,000. And finally, let's talk about how we add value managing bond portfolios. 
So when we go out and when we purchase a bond, in a lot of cases, we may be going out and, and bidding a bond that somebody you know needs to sell and that they need to sell today. It's very similar to going out and say buying a car that someone needs to sell today. You're going to get a lot better price if you're buying that through a private party and they need to raise cash immediately than you are by going to a dealership, something that's been traded and bought through the auction and and changed hands several times, there's going to be a lot of markup in that. Bonds are very similar. We have the opportunity and relationships to go out and to offer cash that we have available to purchase assets at a little bit better pricing. And, and that's opposed to, you know, some of our competitors, you know, in the brokerage world that, you know, their trading desk are up in New York and they, you know, will go out and buy a bond and, and they'll get it at a great price and, and can maybe even do higher quantity than we can, but they've marked it up by the time it goes on to their inventory and that their salesperson is presenting to, to you, the investor. And then the salesperson's marking that bond an additional one or two points by the time it gets to you. When we talk about uh, managing a, a portfolio, we're talking about managing an income portfolio. So we're going to have access to a lot of securities that the you know regular investor trying to purchase investments through your standard online retail firm is not going to have access to, or that may be very difficult to trade. So I know we've talked about bonds today, but in our income portfolio, there are other securities out there that do carry rates and dates that we can get access to that just uh, the regular investor just doesn't have the time, the energy, the expertise to manage and and do their self. So I think there's a a lot of value that we add and I get excited about the bond market and and just uh, income investments in general. Yeah, I agree. And thanks for touching on the the non-bond portion of the income a little bit there. I think that's some good insight. Thank you very much for listening today. And from all of us here at the Rudd Company, invest long and prosper. This commentary is distributed for informational purposes only and is not intended to constitute legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice. Nothing herein constitutes any offer to sell or solicitation of any offer to buy any security. All investment strategies and investments involve risk of loss, including the possible loss of principal invested, and nothing herein should be construed as a guarantee of any specific outcome or profit. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Any opinions expressed by employees of the Rudd Company are the Rudd Company's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of any affiliates. The opinions expressed by guest speakers are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Rudd Company or any affiliates. Guest appearances on this program does not imply the Rudd Company's endorsement of any entity, person, product, service, or investment. All opinions are current and only as of the date of recording and are subject to change without notice.